0: Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. Welcome, 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 Raider Nation, to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a. Wednesday in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur I had to think of the second uh, what day it was uh, things are just it's just such a blur right now with draft coming up everything that's going on um, just really busy uh, working on stories trying to uh, get all the information out there uh, be on top of stuff uh, a little pro- not a programming note but uh, just a, uh, a reminder Mike Mayock uh, the Raiders general manager will speak to the media tomorrow so we'll try to pick his brain uh, on everything that's going on and uh, we'll have a re- full reaction uh, tomorrow on the uh, on the show uh, in the huddle brought to you by Tequila Embajador uh, with what Mike has to say and what Mike has to talk about you know obviously everyone's keeping uh, all of their cards as close to the best uh, as possible, but we'll try to pry some information uh, out of Mike Mac and see, you know, where the Raiders uh, are leaning, uh, what they're open to, what they're not open to. Uh, I think everything is on the table uh, for the Raiders at pick number 17, and that includes trading up, it includes standing pat, it includes trading back. You don't often say that um, that all options are on the table, but I think this is a crazy year, and there's a lot of Um, you know, jockeying for position. And there's a lot of teams up ahead of the Raiders uh, in that top 10 or just outside that top 10 that might be interested in trading back. And I think the Raiders have their eyes on a couple of guys um, and and might be induced, might be compelled uh, to move up. Uh, to put themselves in a better position, uh, to get the guy that they want. Uh, my favorite player in this draft defensively is uh, Michael Parsons from the from Penn State. Uh, I think he's one of the few defensive difference makers that uh, you can project coming in day one and making an impact and getting better as the years go on. I think there's so much upside to his game in addition uh, to what he already brings uh, to the table right off the bat. Superior athlete, smart uh, can versatility, can line them up uh, at, at, um, along the defensive line at linebacker, uh, he can rush, he can stop the run, uh, he can run and, uh, and and defend running backs and tight ends. And in today's NFL, you need all of those things, and you need playmaking. And the Raiders, in particular, need a playmaker on uh, the defensive side of the ball. Michael Parsons, I think, fits that, uh, Bill. We're going to go right out to the uh, Raider Nation uh, listener line. Uh, Raider 914 uh, is online, has been waiting uh, patiently uh, before we even came on today, and I appreciate that. Raider 914, how you doing, man?
1: Hey, Vinny Bond, how are you?
0: Doing really good, thank you.
1: I uh, heard you today on Pritching Clay this morning. Uh, I just want, I just got to say a few things and then I'll list listen up. I need everybody to back off Mark Davis. Like He's, he's the, uh, the first owner, maybe the only, it's been about 24 hours, I don't really know. He's the only one to come out and support the Floyd family. Doesn't that mean anything? Do people understand like, you know, what the Raiders organization has been about over the years? Do they know anything about the Davis family? Um, I just wish people would do a little homework before they start beating on the guy. Uh, we know what, what his intentions were. The Floyd family was basically pleased with what he said. And if they don't have a problem with it, everybody should shut up. Everybody should just back off. Um, and then I just wanted to, to uh, say something about the draft. I hope that Mayock and Gruden trade up and grab Parsons or the other linebacker, Kamora. I was watching tape on them. They're almost the same guy. Once, and Parsons is a little bigger, stronger, faster. Um, but they make plays all over the field. And we haven't had a guy like that in years. Uh, We need somebody that teams uh, think about during the week. We haven't had anybody like that, maybe since Mac. Um, These guys would come in and be the best player on defense right away for our team, maybe even the AFC West, maybe in the AFC. Uh, That might be reaching a little bit, but these guys are dynamic studs. um, And they would help us. Majorly on the defensive side of the ball, and anybody that's watched Raider football over the last few years knows that that's exactly what we need right away. Thanks, Vinny Bond. Talk to you soon.
0: All right, brother. Thank you. Uh, and I'm going to definitely get into um, you know what what happened yesterday and uh, has spilled over uh, to today uh, without question. Um, and let me kind of gather my thoughts, and I'll, I'll get to it. I have many many thoughts uh, on, on the subject, and I'm with you. I think. Um, you know, I've, I've watched a bunch of tape of Jeremiah from uh, the, uh, Notre Dame University. Uh, I follow Notre Dame, so uh, well aware of him. Tremendous playmaker. Um, can can be utilized in that kind of Joker, Swiss Army knife type of a role where um, you could ask him to do a bunch of different things and he can excel at a bunch of th- different things. Um, Raider 914, I think he hit the nail on the head. I do believe Michael Parsons is, as you said, just a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, um, a little bit stronger. Uh, than uh, then Jeremiah, and for those reasons, he'd be the guy that I preferred uh, over JOK. But I'm not, I wouldn't rule out JOK because I think he could be an instantaneous uh, impact player for the Raiders. For all the reasons that you uh, articulated, they need guys that can come in and, and make plays and, and be able to play uh, the current brand of defensive football that's required when um, a guy like Micah Parsons, like I said, you could rush... Uh, You can send him at the quarterback. Um, He's a tremendous run stopper, not just filling gaps in run fits and and making stops at the line of scrimmage or sometimes beyond the line of scrimmage, but a guy that can run sideline to sideline to track down uh, plays. But I also believe he's too good of an athlete uh, and too smart not to be able to grasp um, and excel uh, in pass coverage. He just didn't do a lot of that at Penn State. And remember, he only played two years. Uh, He sat out last year. Um, you know, due to uh, COVID-19 concerns. Uh, I think you would have seen him do more of that as his game expanded in college. Uh, but I think that that tool is certainly in his toolbox. He's just too good of an athlete not to be able to to pull it off. So, uh, I, I, you know, I know that the Raiders need a right tackle. I know they need a free safety. I think they'll be able to address both of those needs later on in this draft. Um, so if a Michael Parsons is there at 17, if a Jeremiah is there at number seventeen, or maybe even if the Raiders, if if Micah starts to fall a little bit, maybe uh, the Raiders pounce on that and, and go trade, uh, you know, up for him if they feel like, you know, if we don't act aggressively right now, somebody else is going to uh, get the guy that we really want. So I wouldn't rule that out either. He's too good of a player. Uh, he and and he would make too big of a difference not to at least consider. Uh, being bold and being aggressive and giving something up um, to go up further in the draft uh, to go get a playmaker like that. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line. And by the way, thanks uh, Raider 914 call anytime. Uh, Joe from LA uh, is on the line. How you doing, Joe? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call. You know, I I was hoping, uh, I want to
2: also reiterate some of the sentiments. Um, When I first saw that tweet, I can breathe. it, It took me back a little bit and I think part of the problem that we have, there's two things that I see in our, in our society right now, is that cancel culture has engulfed our society and maybe some of our train of thoughts. Because my initial reaction wasn't a very good one. But instead of reacting or thinking negatively, I, I took a step back and I started to think about what that really meant and then I started reading articles like the one on, uh, I guess, Ed Graney had one on the Review Journal, The Athletic had one, TMZ had one. And so everything started falling into context. And I think the other problem with the initial reaction is that many anti-civil rights groups, put it like, loosely, racist groups, have taken on the opposite mantra. For example, where Black Lives Matter, and all of a sudden racist groups decided to come out with White Lives Matter. And it's really not about black and white. It's more about justice uh, for those people who are being uh, unjust, you know, who who are suffering. And so I think those two things fell into place, Um, especially when you have certain um, things out there. Like, for example, with LeBron James, he had a shirt that highlighted the, the statement, I can't breathe. So when you put out a statement, I can breathe without context, it's almost like saying, well, I can breathe. He can't breathe, but I can't breathe. But like again, stepping back, when you see that in its whole context, you understand what that meant. And when you see that George Floyd's brother made a similar comment to that, it puts everything in context, and I was okay with it. And so I think, at the very least, like the other caller mentioned, I don't see anybody or any NFL owners making any comments about this. And I think it's important that they do because we're living in socially conscious times. And I think that it should be commended that you have an NFL owner that's willing to step up and make reference
0: to it. And let me ask you this. um, Why do you think that some, some personal owners haven't actually... You know, put out a a statement or or, or tweet. There's been a few, but um, you know, uh, not. I don't know about necessarily the NFL specifically. I know teams have. uh, Why do you think that is? I have a theory on it, and um, but I'd like to get your thoughts.
2: I I think I know exactly why. Because of political affiliations. Because you know, there's a big segment of the NFL ownership that's very steeped in old political conservative uh affiliations that nowadays seem racist and i think you can't teach an all an old dog new tricks to some respect and i, I really think that's the case for example the other palm i had was the comments made by brett Favre that he doesn't think that Derek chauvin meant to kill him well since when does brett Favre become a hall of fame hall of fame mind reader well, Brett Favre
0: is being is quickly deteriorating into kind of an idiot. To be honest with you, some of the things that come out of his mouth, I'm like, are, are, are you serious, dude? Like, give me a break. But that, but I digress. Go ahead. I completely agree with you. But go ahead.
2: Right, and and that's kind of the sentiment. I think a lot of these owners, uh, because you got to realize, regardless of how much money you have or what you own or don't have, it doesn't make you the brightest bulb in the batch. It doesn't make you a very socially conscious person. And I think that's what you have here. I mean, when you have uh, the previous administration calling uh, protesters, you know, animals and, and convicts and, and, and this and that, the, these are players that are trying to show some kind of awareness. And when you have someone so hateful saying these things it breeds, it breathes it, it, it festers and and those people who want to attach it themselves to that will
0: i agree and uh you know th- i really appreciate it joe um you know and, and and i think that um you know i i think we we have to understand like you know I'll, that tweet came out toward the end of the show yesterday and i saw it and um you know i i I kind of, I I understood uh, where it was coming from. I didn't know at the time who had tweeted it. You know, it was on the Raiders' social media, so I didn't want to, you know, uh, jump to any conclusions on who actually you know tweeted it, who was behind it. Was it ownership? Was it, you know, somebody in the social media uh, team? So uh, that's number one. Number two, um, even though I kind of, I thought I understood, like, what it meant, and I'll explain why I thought that, I wasn't sure either, so I didn't want to say something, um, you know, before getting all the facts. And, you know, in my in my line of work as a, uh, as, a as a journalist, um, and I and I've been at this for a long time. And I could remember earlier in my career where, you know, if you were like let's say a columnist, somebody that put uh, a a um, you know a, a spin not a spin on something, but your thoughts on something, try to put it into perspective. Sometimes something would happen earlier in the morning and you would take all day or as long as you possibly could to kind of formulate your thoughts and hear everybody's side of the story and get, you know, both sides of the stories or however many side of the stories were before you came to your own conclusion on what was going on. And then from that point, be able to put your perspective on it. We've lost that. OK, we've completely lost that with. Uh, non-stop news cycles, 24-hour news cycles, social media where everyone can blurt out their thoughts immediately and thinking that they have all the answers and can have interpreted it correctly and therefore have a command, uh, enough of a command of the situation to be able to pass judgment. And I was trained an opposite way. My training was always as a journalist, let it marinate a second or two, let, the, let it unfold a little bit. Um, before you start passing any sort of judgment or writing a column on, on why this was right, why, why this was wrong. So, you know, this tweet came out during the show yesterday, but I didn't have enough of a command on anything to make any kind of a comment on on it, other than what my gut reaction was. And this was exactly what my gut reaction was. Uh, I'm going to apply it a little bit to myself. Yesterday, uh, news comes down that a verdict was about ready to be announced, all right? And then it was going to be from anywhere between 1:30 Pacific Time, you know, and 2:30 Pacific Time. So for the next couple of hours, my stomach was literally in knots. I was on the verge of possibly even throwing up. That's how nervous I was out of worry and concern that the jury wasn't going to get it right. They weren't going to um, you know, issue a just verdict and justice was not going to be served because we've seen it so many times uh, in our history where, you know, bad people walk away uh, in positions of authority. The police, I go all the way back to Los Angeles. I was there when the Rodney King, uh, I was at the forum in Inglewood, California, right before a a Laker game uh, when the verdict was read uh, that those police officers were not guilty on something that was so obviously guilty. Uh, And, you know, obviously the LA riots happened after that, but I could go all the way back to that. And there's many, many others that have happened since then where justice wasn't served. The right decision wasn't made. So yes, I was nervous. I was in pins and needles, hoping that the right thing would happen, but worried that it wouldn't, um, in spite of all the evidence that showed, obviously, that police officer killed uh, George Floyd by his actions. He killed, he murdered uh, George Floyd agree. You know, the one thing
2: I, I, I wish the Raiders would do, and I guess they won't, I don't know if it's stubbornness or they're just standing pat at this point, was it's an opportunity for a teaching lesson and I would have loved for the Raiders to release the video explaining the context of it because regardless if they need to justify it or not, it's a teaching lesson for those people who don't take the time to actually investigate, think, or put everything in context. And I think the Raiders have always been ahead of the game in social justice issues. And I think if you pull the number or even put out a video of uh, former legendary players and, and, and current players and talk about this issue, I think you're doing a great service not only to the Raiders but the NFL in general. Um, and having
0: said that, we got to remember if it was executed poorly so be it but it was good intentioned um right so i waited okay i waited okay so i ended up talking to mark uh, mark davis last night and
3: Hey, Joe in L.A., we lost Vinny there, so uh, thank you for the call, but we're going to have to let you go. And with that being said, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with more on In the Huddles, presented by Tequila and Bahador.
0: You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Yar. Raider Nation, welcome back to uh, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM here in Hollywood and the Monsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Sorry about the uh, technical uh, difficulties uh, there, but we are back at it. Uh, hopefully everything sounds good, but um, not quite sure where where um, uh, it went sideways there. But um, you know, just to explain, yesterday you know, I saw that tweet uh, by the Raiders. It was during my show, toward the end of my show, and uh, couldn't quite... Uh, you know, at, at that point, and, and I kind of go back to, uh, you know, uh, my earlier years as a, as a journalist, um, where you used to, have, you know, you would, you would, there wasn't this 24 hour news cycle, there wasn't social media, there wasn't instantaneous thoughts being sent out. If something happened, you had time to kind of reflect on it, to, to get the full story, the full scope of the story. Um, and, 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 all of those things before you commented on it, uh, especially as a columnist, even as a, as a, as a news commentator, usually the news came on later on in the afternoon. So, uh, or in the evening. So you, you had time to really let something marinate and I didn't have that time, uh, yesterday. So I didn't comment on it. My initial reaction was kind of, um, you know, the, the, the same thing when I saw it, it, it kind of reminded me about how I felt throughout yesterday. And, uh, to explain that, uh, hopefully I'm not repeating myself, but if I am, uh, my apologies, but, you know, when, when when it came out yesterday that a verdict had been reached and it was going to be announced within the next couple of hours, well, those next couple of hours, I had a, a pit at the bottom of my stomach. I was so worried that they weren't going to get it right, that the jury was going to come back um, with a uh, non-just verdict we've seen it so many times and I go back to Rodney King when I was in Los Angeles and something that was so obvious and so those officers were so guilty and yet they were found innocent in spite of all the evidence uh, against them that was clear to see if you looked at the video you know I was worried that the same exact kind of situation because we've seen it so many times uh, over the last um, you know few decades I thought and worried that something similar would happen so then when the verdict was read uh, and all three counts were, were, were guilty, I just let out this big sigh of relief, like, oh, I can relax. Uh, you know, I, you know I, I was worried, and the, the right decision came, and I'm so relieved and so happy that justice was served. So when I saw that tweet from the Raiders, I'm thinking kind of like those were the same sentiments, like, I can breathe, I can relax. The right decision was made. That's exactly how I felt yesterday during the verdict. I didn't know what the context was of that tweet during yesterday's show, so I couldn't comment at it. I didn't even know who tweeted it until after the show. Figured out, you know, that it was the owner Mark Davis, and I got a chance to talk to Mark Davis uh, last night. And you know, when he explained himself, it was almost verbatim for how I felt during those two hours yesterday, waiting for a verdict to happen and be announced, and the worry that he felt and that I felt that it was going to go sideways again, like it has so many times before. So. know when he saw the verdict he was relieved and then he you know saw the comments from the Floyd family of uh, and I'm paraphrasing but you know we can finally breathe again that was the lead that he took and so uh, that was the tweet that he went with was it you know could have could he have used a different choice of words perhaps Uh, was it executed perfectly no there wasn't enough probably enough context uh, you know on the tweet um, but the bottom line it was, it was good intended, and it came from his heart, and he was relieved, just like I was, um, and that that finally, after so many times in the past where the right verdict didn't happen, in spite of overwhelming evidence, in this case, it was the right verdict, and we could all, you know, sigh, just let out a sigh of relief, and that's what he meant, and that's what he, how he explained himself uh, you know, yesterday when I talked to him and, um, so I, I was satisfied with that explanation. Uh, and I think a lot of people are now, but I, I, I get the sense that, that not everybody is, and that's what kind of baffles me a little bit. Um, I get the initial negative reaction without the context, without listening, uh, to, to the man who made the tweet himself, explaining himself and, and putting context on it and perspective and nuance and explaining where he was mentally, what he was feeling, whose lead he was following. I could get, I understand some like trepidation prior to hearing all that, but when you hear it and you can put yourself in his shoes and understand where he was coming from because I felt the exact same way. I felt relief when that verdict came down. Um, When when the full context is put out there, I, I just don't understand how people can still be negative about it. Um, and I think that there's something, you know, wrong with our society when we, we, we aren't mature enough or, or adult enough or understanding enough to say, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from. I get it. I understand it. That's understandable. Would I have used different words? Probably. Um, you know, could you, have, could you have executed a little bit better? Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. But I totally understand where you're coming from. It came from the heart. There were good intentions behind it, not bad intentions. Uh, thank you, and 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 that's and and that should be enough. Um, I don't get the sense that it's entirely uh, like that, uh, just based on what I'm seeing, uh, you know, on on Twitter. And and there's also this sort of, um, you know, there's this feeling like um, if you're not of a certain community, uh, you can't feel. Uh, okay about this verdict. You can't feel satisfied. You can't feel, um, you know, uh, relieved. You can't feel joy that, hey, you know, in a bad situation, it ended, at least in this verdict part of it, the correct way and justice will be served. And I have a serious problem with that, because that is literally saying people can't be empathetic of people. Uh, and empathy. Vinny, you're getting means. a
3: little bit of Raider Nation already, a little bit fired up, you know, I mean, Q is ready. Q Myers, our next guest. But I've I've gotten a call from one angry guy who said, keep the politics at home. Vinny, he may never listen again after this. Okay, I know we well, talked about Mike. You sound really
0: dramatic there. Uh. <laughs> Boy, you don't, Vinny, You didn't hear this uh, phone call.
3: I just got Vinny. I mean, yeah. Oh my God! I know we and, talk and about we'll, Micah Parsons. Will he fall to the Raiders every day? But this guy just can't take the politics <laughs> in his football. How well, dare the yeah. chocolate touch his peanut butter?
0: Right, and I, what I what I don't understand about that sentiment is that this isn't politics. This is like human. Um, I know. <laughs> just. Is pure and the story human. you're talking
3: about happens to be because Mark Davis, the Raiders, created news. It's not like you yeah. were just like, oh, man, let me just pull up, pull a top headline." It's it's Raiders related. But I digress. Yes.
0: Okay, Red, we're gonna get to Q here. Uh, I appreciate uh, Q Myers, our good friend, spending some time with us and you spend some extra time with us, uh, r- uh, real quick um, between uh, now and, and five o'clock. Q, thank you so much, man, for uh, for taking the time today to spend uh, spend a little bit of extra time with us in the huddle. How are you doing, man? Man,
3: doing
4: really good, and I, I, it sounds like you guys are having an exciting day there.
0: <laughs> it's never a dull moment. It's never a dull moment, Q. Um, you know, and and you know, full disclosure, Q and I uh, exchanged some. Uh, uh, messages earlier today uh, talking about, you know, certain things. And even last night uh, we, we we exchanged some messages and, and uh, I always feel it's important to try to get everybody, you know, friends of yours, um, you know, get everybody's thoughts, everybody's feelings, everybody's, where are you coming from on this? Where are you coming from on this? I think that's the only way we can really truly um, be connected and understanding of each other. And, um, you know, I, 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 before you came on, I was talking about, um this this fact that you know a, a certain part of the community can't feel empathy or can't feel satisfaction over this because they're not another they're not part of the other you know what i'm saying like like I, I i have a problem with that and i think if you take empathy out of this world and the the literal definition of empathy is to kind of put yourself in somebody else's shoes you might not experience the same exact thing you might not know everything from their perspective um or or those shoes that they've walked in but the Being able to be empathetic of it and understanding of it is very, very important and needed in this world. And if we don't have that or even allow for it, Q, uh, I think this whole thing is going to go sideways.
4: Well, yeah. And and the thing about it, Vinny, is that's all that we've ever asked for. As an African-American, that's all we've ever asked for is for you to feel empathy. I don't need you to solve the problem. I just need you to acknowledge there is a problem. And so... You know, it's it's like, it's crazy, man. It's like we're in a certain phase and we're so caught up in thinking a certain way that if someone that doesn't look like me or doesn't look like George Floyd or doesn't look like Breonna Taylor or doesn't look like Eric Garner comes out and says like, you know, hey, this is, uh, I I feel a lot better because this result came out and I thought that this result was going to be worse. It's like, I... I'll be damned if I'm going to tell them, well, you can't feel that way because you don't look like me and you've never experienced it. I was like, thank you. At least your eyes are open and realize that, hey, there was a real deal chance that 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 verdict was going to come out in a different different way that it would have been all bad, man. And I don't know what would have happened. And I'll tell you, I was on my radio show waiting for the verdict to come down, and I was nervous as can be because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was, I hate this, I was thinking the worst, but I was praying for the best but I was assuming that the worst was going to happen just because we've been let down so many times. And so I was glad when other people came out and said, man, I was nervous. I'm glad that it came out the way it did. And they got it right. I mean, I was, I was all aboard because I feel like that's the only way you start to come together is everyone. It's it's not just equal to me. I'm not the only one that can feel this way. I want everyone to feel this way and understand where we're coming from. I I think that's the only way that we get where we're trying to go.
0: I I completely agree. And it's the very, um, Point to me of the the Black Lives Matter movement. It was to bring awareness, uh, and not just Black Lives Matter, but you know what? Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, um, you know, uh, during the national anthem to draw attention to social injustice. This was—I've written this, wrote this a million times. It was never about disrespecting the flag uh, or disrespecting the the military. It was literally to draw attention to this very thing, and I. Q, I think that it's helped. It's worked. It has risen um, uh, understanding and awareness of something that's been going on for far too long that people just either weren't aware of. Maybe they didn't even care about it. Whatever the case might be. Now, it seems like more and more people are understanding of, wow, this has been going on in the black community and minority community for all these years. I never gave it two seconds of thought. I did, but I'm, you know, paraphrasing maybe some other yeah, people. But yeah. now I am. Now I am, and now I understand where they're coming from. And you know, to, to be able to bring those people to the right side of this fight is exactly what the point of Black Lives Matter and 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 people like Colin Kaepernick taking a knee to raise awareness for this very thing.
4: Exactly. I mean, that's what it was. And, and, you know, I always said that what Cap was doing, I know a lot of people didn't like it, but what he was doing was peaceful. Uh, it didn't it didn't cause any harm to anybody. If you didn't want to look at him and see it, then don't look at them and see it. But uh, that's what he was trying to do was draw attention to the fact that there was a problem. There was an issue and it was going on and far too long. It had been ignored and just kind of overlooked. And I'll tell you, uh, there was nothing positive about the pandemic. We all know that there was nothing positive about that. But I feel like with so many people at home in front of their TV, on their computers, doing their, you know, business that way because they weren't, you know, hustling and bustling through town because everything was shut down, I think that also draw. a uh- attention to it I think that that put it on everybody's computer screen everyone's tv screen and it was right there in your eyes where you couldn't turn the channel without seeing it and it almost made a lot of people who might not want to pay attention to it it made them pay attention to it and so uh this is where we're at right now and so again I will never be upset at someone who doesn't look like me that's like hey Q I can never be in your shoes I can never experience what you have experienced or may experience in your life But I got your back, and I realize that there is a problem, there is an issue that needs to be talked about, and it needs to be figured out how we're going to go from where we're at right now to how we can get better. Because I'll tell you, and I've said this many times on and off the radio, I'm 44 years old. I'm not worried about me. I feel like I'm going to be fine. I think I have enough home training. I think I have enough uh, knowledge, and I'm mature enough to know, what's going to get me in trouble and what's going to keep me out of trouble and what I've got to do in all situations. And if I ever get pulled over, I feel pretty confident I'm going to get out of that with no problem because of who I am at this age and and my maturity level and know that I just got to, you know, chill it on out and I just got to do everything that's been told to me to do and and pray for the best. But I'm worried about 18-year-old me. I'm worried about uh, my son that's that's driving around who hasn't experienced these kind of situations, who's going to be new to it, who understands what I've told him, but until you experience it, you really don't know. So that's what I'm worried about. So if we can have these conversations right now and it can help my 18-year-old or someone else's 18-year-old or someone else's 16-year-old or whatever, if it can help the young people that are coming up, then I, I feel fine. I'm, I'm good. I'll take my chances with me. I just want better for them.
0: Uh, and to take it a step further, when, when justice is served, it sends a message to the next one that might be reaching for the gun when the gun doesn't yeah. need to be reached for, to think, hey, you know, there's repercussions now. <laughs> you know, it, it, it right. might have given, I, I hate to even think along these time these terms, Q, but it, previous incidents where things got swept under the rug or justice wasn't served and guys were found innocent that were absolutely guilty, uh, it, it may have given certain cops uh, the confidence to be able to do whatever the heck that they wanted because they know that you know there was not gonna be any serious repercussions. Well when you start setting precedents like this, that's right. bound to have a ripple effect on the on, on the next one and the one after that, hopefully anyway.
4: I mean anytime you have consequences and repercussions, you know that hey, I, I gotta make sure that what I do is on point and make sure that it's the right thing to do. And the one thing I'll say for anyone that's listening it might take it the wrong way I, I'll be the first person to tell you that police officers have the hardest job ever. Their job is the toughest job ever. They don't know if they're pulling over me or they're pulling over someone else. You know what I mean? If they pull me over, they're fine. If they pull someone else over who's got bad intentions, then who knows? So I realize that their job is the hardest job ever, but they're also in a line of work where they can't get their job wrong. You know what I mean? Like that's that they don't have that wiggle room of well, we can have an eighty-five percent percentage. You know, we, we do really well, eighty-five percent of the time. Yeah, but that fifteen percent can't can't be. You know, I mean, and, and in and in baseball, you hit three hundred, you're an all star. If you're a police <laughs> right. officer and you, you're at three hundred, you're not an all star. You're a failure, and, and you've done a lot of really bad things. So it's a it's a tough situation, but it's. It's got to be pinpoint accurate, you know. Like you can't mistake your your gun for a taser. You just can't. You can't have that mistake. That that cannot happen. There's no way that you could say that was that was something that you know. Oops, my bad. That was a mistake. There can't be any my bads in that situation. It
2: just can't be.
0: Right. Exactly. And and what was always so, um, you know, uh, interesting to me was you know during the whole uh, when 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 the, when the Colin Kaepernick um, story really you know, uh, emerged and became a national story. You know, obviously covering the Rams. You know, I'm going around the locker room talking to players and and trying to get their perspective and and things like that. Uh, And and, and Q, I don't care, uh, white players, black players, um, the, the whole gamut. You know how many times a black player would tell me this? Dude, do you know how many cops I know in my family? How many military members I have in my family, my friends, the kids that I grew up with? Um, I don't hate the military, I don't hate right. all cops, it's bad cops and and we should all be at a point where we're not trying to, to to generalize every police officer out there because I'm with you, they have an incredibly difficult job and you know what makes it even more difficult? When you have bad cops that that, that drag you down, that's what right. makes it even more difficult because now all of a sudden you know, you're under question, you're, you're being looked at a certain way. So it was never, right. it's never been about anti-police or anti-military. It was to draw attention, um, to something that's been going on far too long, uh, in, in, in our, in, you know, minority communities uh, across this country. And it's high time we start getting that right. Uh, and high time that people that commit these types of acts, you know, there's consequences, serious consequences. And, and so I was happy yesterday. I'm not going to lie. I was really happy yeah. yesterday. It made it made my day when when that verdict uh, happened, and and so uh, I was tremendously uh, satisfied. All right, so we're gonna get to um, you know some uh, some some football talk uh, here in, in a second, but we're gonna go to break really quick. Uh, thanks for holding on. Uh, I know you're gonna be with us to the top of the hour. I I really really appreciate it. We're gonna go pay some bills right now, but when we get back, we'll start diving into. Uh, Where the Raiders go with that 17th pick and maybe even in that 48th pick. Do you trade up? Do you trade down? Do you stand pat? There's so many options, I think, that the Raiders uh, have at their disposal. uh, And I can't wait to see how it all plays out. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Q Myers, brought to you by Tequila Combater. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio Night, 20 a.m. on a Wednesday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Vonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. And uh, our guest host for the half hour uh, is Q Myers, our our great friend. uh, And always love uh, his insight um, and energy and uh, everything that uh, that he brings to the table. Uh, Q, we've been talking, and I know that uh, when you were on last week, we talked about Michael Michael Parsons, the linebacker from uh, Penn State. uh, And you know, the possibility of, of the Raiders reeling in uh, that kind of a playmaker. I think it's desperately needed on this defense. Uh, there are reports that um, there's a little bit of a slide uh, going on with Michael Parsons. Um, I'm not quite sure. I've tried to do as much research as I could uh, or can on, on Micah. And, you know, to to kind of figure out where, what the issue is. I keep seeing potential character issues and da da you know, that that sort of thing. Now, he he spoke... Uh, at his uh, uh, pro day at Penn State and, and expressed some misgivings about something that happened when he was younger. I think he got to a go fight uh, is basically all I... That's the, what I can detect, anyway. Um, I, I, But I can't find anything else other than that. I don't, you know... Uh, maybe you've seen something, heard something. Can you shed any light on, on what might be going on uh, in terms of the character issues with Michael Parsons?
4: Well, I mean, I've seen, you know, plenty of... Uh, reports that are kind of on Twitter, but you know, I kind of take them with a grain of salt because they're on Twitter uh, about some character issues that he has and including some different things that made him leave Penn State and transfer and, you know what I mean, and, and that just have to do with him, I, I want to say kind of horse playing with some other fellas that turned probably pretty bad or pretty ugly and, um, you know, depending on how you take it. I, I just, I don't know how accurate these reports are, so I don't want to just sit here and well, this is what he did, and this is what he's guilty of, because I, I don't know. But, I mean, it looks like it was, uh, you know, it looked like some some fellas probably got out of hand with whatever kind of situation they were getting into. Uh, doesn't look great. Looks like real immaturity issues, basically. Let's put it like that. That's that's basically what I kind of see, is just a lot of immaturity.
0: Well, I'm, I'm reading uh, one, one uh, uh, somebody explained that Michael Parsons has slipped in the draft because of past indiscretions. That have led to questions about his character. The Penn State alumnus has had a few off the field issues since his high school days. Parsons transferred to another school because he was accused of inciting a riot at his school. That doesn't really sound uh, too good. Um, inciting a riot—I don't. Even, I'd have to look into into that. Um, I know that when I was in high school, there were a few fights at my school. I'm just going to say that um, you know we started a few. We did. There were some shenanigans. I'm just going to say. Uh, But I was 17, 18, 16 years old when, you know, uh, just doing dumb things Um, based on at least put it this way, based on what what you've seen or heard or read. um, Uh, Can I provide some
3: context? I do know um, he shouted gun in the cafeteria.
0: Shouted gun in the cafeteria, kind of like in sort of a kidding, kind of like fire, yelling fire.
3: Yes, exactly.
0: And that caused a riot well i mean i i can't i can't you know uh um you know do anything to say anything lightly about that because unfortunately we've seen far too many times where guns at high schools and mass murders and things like that uh that's serious so obviously that's something stupid you don't do that you don't say that um no question about it um but i okay um uh, i'll throw it back to you q uh hearing that um is that enough to, to say, no, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, or and anything else that you might have heard? Is it enough for you to say that you would take him off your board at, I, at I 17? Would.
4: I think that it's a lot of immaturity issues. I really do. And I think if I'm the Raiders and I'm really interested in them, I'd sit them down and talk to them and see where he's at and, and do the best that you can due diligence just to see if the guy is, is the guy that you would trust in your locker room, with your team, around your players, in your city. I mean, you've got to do your due diligence, but from what I understand, and again, it's just my understanding, there could be a lot more that I'm not even seeing or hearing, but from my understanding, it sounds like he was just a very immature dude, which, hey, there's a lot of very immature dudes. I mean, you want to talk about standing up and saying something in the cafeteria, I can go back to Jameis Winston in college. I mean, you know, there's there's plenty of situations, and I and look, that's, I don't want to make light of that, because that's all bad. It's like, yelling bomb at an airport, you don't do that either. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, you don't do that kind of stuff. That's just, that's very immature, it's very dumb, and it's the way that, depending on where you at, you get yourself killed, you know? So that 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 is a bad situation, but I, I just think that if that's just an immaturity issue that he may have had, I think that he, he could be okay. I know he's a game changer as far as a player on the field, so if you're the Raiders, you, you weigh the good with the bad and say, is it worth it in your opinion? I've seen some people, uh, Vinny, say that, you know, this guy is it has more red flags than Ruben Foster, and if you really feel like he has more red flags than Ruben Foster, you probably have to remove him from your from your draft board because Ruben Foster was nothing but red flags.
0: Yeah, and you know when you when you put it into that kind of context, um, it just makes you wonder. And um, and 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 again, we don't have all the information, and that's you know that that's sometimes frustrating because. Um, you know, we're we're sitting here making uh, an assessment based on some of the things that we've heard, uh, but also what we see on the film, and the film just jumps out at you. It's spectacular in a lot of ways, and so that's you're you're we're looking more at the player, not the person. And I know teams have uh, invested a lot of money in looking into the, the player, so it is hard to answer those questions. Uh, but if you're if you're you know lumping them in with a with a Reuben Foster. You know, that's that's enough for me to go, hmm, you know, that's that might not be uh, the direction to go in. Although, uh, and I've seen this before, where, you know, you, you, you feel like you can get somebody into your environment, into your culture, into your leadership, uh, and be able to, you know, create sort of a, um, you know, a protection around that player to get him, to, to help him, uh, and to, to, you know, help him grow and mature, uh, and, and along the way, develop a really good football player, and hopefully somebody that's not gonna get in trouble, but sometimes, and we've seen this before, Q, that's just false hope, that you're, you're, you're counting way too much on your culture to change somebody that just doesn't wanna be changed.
4: Right, exactly. I mean, again, you have to really trust your yourself, you have to trust your evaluation, and you have to realize what could possibly be real and what's really not. You know, what I mean again, what is just a, a case of immaturity and what is a case of this dude's got some serious issues. And if you come to a, a, a an understanding or feeling that he has some serious, you know, issues, you've got to pass on him, you know. And and I'll say this, I don't know if the Raiders are the strongest organization to be able to handle a bunch of, you know, character issues if it's more than just immaturity, you know, and and I'm not saying that they're not, I'm just saying they're a very young team themselves, you know what I mean, so they don't, I don't know if they have the veterans, I don't know if they have the the dudes like the Jason Wittens or the guys like that that can kind of hone these guys in and and put their arm around their shoulder and say, hey man, uh, this is how you, this is how you act like an adult or this is how you act in the NFL. I don't know if they have enough of those dudes on the roster right now that could, you know, hold a hold guy down like that. So it might make more sense for them to pass on a guy like that and maybe go after a Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, who you feel like doesn't have any kind of issues.
0: Yeah, when you don't have the the when, you know the the infrastructure, not to say that the Raiders don't, but it's just such an untested infrastructure because, uh, like you said, Q, it is so young, and you can't yeah. assume that that infrastructure is in place uh, to be able to keep somebody like that uh, on the right track. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but you just mentioned uh, Jeremiah uh, from, from from Notre Dame. Uh, you know, I've watched a lot of film of him of late. I saw him play quite a bit because I was, a, you know, followed Notre Dame. And, you know, this is a good player, uh, yeah. uh, without question. He's, he's played good in some big games, too. And you look at that Notre Dame squ- schedule since he's been there, they always play a top-flight schedule. They'll play anybody, wherever, at any time, uh, take on all all comers. They've been to the playoffs a couple of times. Um, he's played pretty well in those in those games. So he's seen a high level of play uh, and, and looked like a guy that can, you know, uh, absolutely step foot in the NFL and, and be a, a quality player. Where would you see him fitting uh, in in a Gus Bradley uh, defense?
4: Well, you know, that's the thing. Everything that I've heard and everything that I've, I've read about him and all the questions I've asked is you've got to have a specific plan. For him, it almost is like an Isaiah Simmons type situation, who came out of Clemson uh, last year and I think went number eight overall to the Cardinals. You've got to have an know what you're going to do with this guy, so uh, I like uh, Jeremiah Wusu koromo I think he's a a guy that can fly around the field and make a lot of plays. And you know, I know every once in a while he leaves his feet, and he he shouldn't leave his feet. And he's admitted that. Like I got to keep my base so I can complete the tackle every single time and not miss and not whiff on tackles. Uh, But I I just think that I, I don't know what his specific. Job would be like his exact title. I feel like he would be uh, a guy I like to call an alpha dog, though. You know, what I mean, I feel like he'd be one of those guys that kind of sets the tone on your defense, and that is one thing to look at. And I look around that defense and say, who is that guy? Who is that tone setter? I know that Max Crosby a lot of times could be that guy, but I think that less is more with Max Crosby. So I think the, the letter, the least amount of uh, snaps that he gets, he'll actually get more production with a lesser snap count. You know, so I, I don't think that he's set up to be that alpha dog and I don't really know if the Raiders have one where I think that Awusu Koromoa could actually slide into that position and be that guy and you know of course they have Corey Little they have Nick Wachowski but just a guy that can be uh, you know going and, and guard against Travis Kelsey, go up against Noah Fant, can go you know get the running back out of the backfield, can go and thump somebody if he has to, can make a play on the ball if he has to. It's just an overall field general. I think that uh, Jeremiah Usu koromoa If the Raiders felt like that was their guy, he could he could play that kind of role in their defense.
0: Well, before I let you go, uh, our good friend Paul Gutierrez from uh, ESPN uh, just tweeted out a. Uh, it was one of those uh, simu- uh, mock draft simulator by uh, Pro Football yeah. Focus. I'm just going to run this by you real quick. You let me know what you think. Number 17, Michael Parsons, our boy Michael Parsons at number 17. This is for the Raiders. Uh, At number 48, Walker Little, the tackle from Stanford. At number 79, Jamar Johnson, the safety from Indiana. At number 80, Kelvin Joseph, the cornerback from Kentucky. 121, Milton Williams, defensive lineman, Louisiana Tech. Uh, 162, Aaron Banks, guard uh, Notre Dame. 167, Shaka Tony, uh, edge rusher from Penn State. And 200, Brendan James, tackle from Nebraska. Your quick thoughts on that would be a pretty good draft, but go ahead.
4: I think so. I think it would be a really good draft. Uh, Again, Parsons is is another one of those alpha dogs. As long as he's right, he could be that dude. Uh, You know, you're going and getting an offensive lineman. You're getting linebacker. You're getting offensive lineman. You're addressing the safety issue. Uh, You're addressing the corner situation. I mean, you've got a lot of quality players that as long as you feel like they fit into your squad, and especially on the defensive side of things, as long as Gus Bradley says, hey, I know how I can use this guy and how he can be a difference maker for me, uh, I'm all on board with it. I I think that those are some pretty good names that popped up. I think if the Raiders can come out of this draft with a couple difference makers, and that's the key word that I keep using, difference makers. They've got to have a couple difference makers. A couple guys that you can come out of the draft and say, man, that dude's going to be really good for really long. If they can get a couple of those guys in this draft, I think they'll be on the right track. So I'm okay with that
0: draft. I agree. I agree. Q, uh, time flies uh, when, when when you're here. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you next week uh, as the draft gets closer and certainly uh, after the draft. Uh, to get your thoughts on on where it all went. Really appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for all your time uh, and your insight. Take care of yourself, my man. All right, my man. I appreciate you having me on. Be good. You too. You too. That's Q Myers. Uh, Truly appreciate uh, him spending some time with us in the huddle. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and